is the Kestrel Country Podcast, where we discuss the people, places, and events all around Kestrel Country. Ely, thanks for coming in. Absolutely. It's thanks my pleasure. for joining me. Like I said, I'm here for you, Mike. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, that's right. With Ely Construction, sporting yes. your hat. Yes. That's good. The big E. Um, so for those who don't know you, I thought we should back up a little bit. Sure. We, um, you and I have had a connection since we first met because of our home states. This is true. You're from Michigan. The great state of Michigan. But we met in Idaho, which is funny. Also true. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about... Yeah, you grown up, grown up in Michigan. How'd you get into construction? Give us a little bit of that background. Sure. Uh, yeah, grew up in Michigan uh, in the northern part of the Lower Peninsula, so officially a troll. For those who are not familiar with Michigan, that means under the bridge. Yeah. So, but God's right? country. But I mean, yes. it's gorgeous. Yes, up gorgeous up there. Uh, my dad is a, a carpenter, and he's been a carpenter for fifty-one years now. Wow. Um, so he's out there doing it right now. Um, down the road. That's so, amazing. Yep. Some longevity. Uh, yep. Grew up with, with the trades, uh, and you know, worked construction pretty much every summer that I, I could since I was 10 years old. Um, not by choice, but by force. <laughs> yes. Um, and, but now by choice. Yeah. <laughs> so something uh, yes. stuck. Yes. So, um, I, I really, really enjoy the construction community. I enjoy the results of construction. I am not a carpenter. And that was the journey that I had to realize. So mm. yeah, you know, taking those two off is just, my, that's my, this is my, uh, you know, illustration that I carry with me about why I am not a good carpenter, but I have the utmost respect for good carpenters. And in our company, that's basically my job is to make it the easiest place for excellent carpenters to work. So okay. that's, that's basically a yeah. summary of what we do. Wow. Yeah. So, so you came out to Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, you were, you were overseas before that though, right? I was, I was a year in Germany. Yep. And before I came out here and then Did that, does that have any impact on the way you run your business now or, um, it would be hard to quantify if it did. I mean, I did actually go back to Germany two other times and work there. I worked in the vineyards one time oh, really? you know, harvesting grapes, cool. making wine. And then another time I went there and I did decorative metalworking apprenticeship and we built a, a 27 foot across uh, cathedral chandelier and coated it with gold. Whoa. So that was pretty cool just to learn. That's awesome. So I, I def, there, there are still some definite, you know, artistic craftsman things that I do enjoy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It seems like that culture very right. Detail oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Absolutely. So, and then made it to Idaho. Mm-hmm. And made it to Idaho. Uh, came out here for New St. Andrews College. Um, you know, really enjoyed that, uh, and, and that definitely uh, uh, you know helps my business every day. Um, you know, the liberal arts education certainly has given me the tools to to teach myself and to keep growing as an entrepreneur. So, so construction yeah. from liberal arts, absolutely. Yeah. But well, a const- business from liberal arts. Okay. Yep. That's what you you're yep. saying. Learning different things. That's the main, like how to learn. Mm-hmm. Is that the main impact? Yeah, how to learn, uh, you know, just a curiosity about uh, different arenas and then the, the inevitable overlap that you'll find and um, how you can learn something in an area that seems completely disconnected and then bring a value principle over and end up innovating in a market that otherwise, uh, you know, wouldn't have that cross-pollination. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yep. Awesome. So, 
uh, yeah, very, very grateful for that. And then uh, outside of uh, after college, um, it was, you know, boom time, 2005. Um, you know, I, I chose to travel and, and do a few things before jumping into a career because I finished a semester early, but then, uh, you know, got sucked right into construction because people had heard that I had skills and, uh, and so got hunted down and worked on a crew for about six months, uh, became effectively the foreman, uh, right, right, uh, uh, at, you know, the last couple months. And then I cut my fingers off the second to last day in the field. And then uh, had a couple weeks recovering over Christmas and uh, went right to work as a uh, founder slash project manager for a, uh, a, a launching new construction company in town that never, never emerged. But I spent six months there um, helping uh, co-design uh, efficient homes with an architect out of Spokane, liaising cool. with the city to you know, work on the, the development side and, the, and the refining the plat map. And uh, writing a business plan, you know, remodeling an office, all that type of stuff, and then getting fired, and uh, and then starting my own business, and then that that he never built anything, um, you know, I got a check because that was you said 2005, so that's like going right into the recession. Yeah, this was now 2005, six. Yeah, yep, 2005 into six, and then uh, six months. Well, it wasn't in the recession yet. No, that was okay. still. You know, these things were still hot. So in 2006, here in this market, yeah, because you have to remember the recession started elsewhere, and then everything takes like yeah. you know 18 to 24 it started months to early get here. in, in yeah. Detroit, <laughs> yeah, back, right. in, back yeah, in the home exactly. country. Yeah, <laughs> so we had some good years. Uh, um, so within six months later, I had you know five people on the team. So it was just like six months, six months, six months, and we were up and rolling. And then two years later, I laid all eight or nine full-time employees off, and it was back to me with a tool belt when the recession finally settled in here in Moscow. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So those uh, two years of doing that, when you had those folks working for you, what were you doing? New construction mostly? No, mostly repairs and remodel. Okay. Yep. Mostly uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of student housing repairs, but some, you know, additions and, and, uh, and interior remodels too. Okay. Yeah. And that's now what you're doing, right? That is what we do exclusively now is just, uh, we're known as, you know, like high end remodel. And also we do, you know, quite a bit of light commercial remodel. Yep. Okay. So we don't do the repairs so much anymore. That type of thing. Did you do new construction for a time? Mm-hmm. We've, we've built a few new, new houses here in the area. And, um, um, we, we decided that wasn't our cup of tea, um, there seem to be more contractors in our area doing that than remodeling by far. And there still are. There's, as far as I know, we're the only dedicated remodeling company in Moscow or Pullman. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it's a more crowded market. And uh, ironically, what we saw is that the, the margins are, are tougher in new construction. Um, you know, a lot of people, um, uh, you know, from our firsthand, um, you know, knowledge and interaction don't actually track their profitability or numbers. And so they just think they're doing well if they're building. Yep. But at the end of the day, it's pretty tough to, to uh, run a business that way. Yeah. Yep. So the remodeling being, was that focusing exclusive, exclusively on that, mm-hmm. mostly a market decision, business decision, or is that something that you and your team just found you enjoyed more as well? Absolutely both. Yeah. Both. So uh, in our market, um, we have a highly inefficient market. Um, and so... You know, the easiest illustration would be that, you know, in other markets, it takes, you know, maybe four to six months to do a super basic starter home. Um, here, yeah. it probably takes nine to 12 months to do a super basic starter home. Um, you know, you could say similarly for a custom home, you know, it's going to take maybe 50% longer here to do that home. Well, uh, for, uh, you know, for that same time period, you've basically extended the overhead expenses by 50%. 
and overhead is, is one of the biggest expenses in construction. And so you have um, similar or actually more lean margins overall, uh, gross margins, and then you have greater overhead. And so your net margin is, is terrible, actually. Hmm. Um, so uh, and construction is generally based on efficiency. If you're inefficient, you're not making money at all. And so when people talk about, you know, the expense of construction here, um, many times we hear, uh, you know, different reasons for it. A lot of times it's pointed to, you know, maybe developers or, or you know, maybe builders. Um, in actuality, it's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a total sum of the whole market and its inefficiency. Hmm. Yep. Is that, do you see opportunities, obviously you must in the remodeling space, mm -hmm. but overall for improving that efficiency or... Obviously, there's always um, there's always opportunities to improve efficiency, yeah. but are some of those things just because of the size of our market and that kind of thing, or do you think it's just a um, there needs to be some systematic change? So uh, there, I think there were three or four questions there, and I would yeah. say that yes to all of them. Is from what I could, yeah, my quick take because okay. um, uh, like from a non-professional not being in that business one of the things that i see on a superficial level right is just back home when we did it like i we were on a, i was on a framing crew and we had eight guys yep. framing and that's all we did was framing and you're just you know and but a lot of that is because of the size of the market right there's yes. like there are just scads of only drywall contractors, right? Yeah. There are scads of guys who are very specialized. And my dad always gives the illustration of, it's like he can get five bids for exterior caulk. Like yeah. not even paint, yeah, like correct. just, just, caulk, just to caulk, right? Yeah, like, and that doesn't even exist here. Yeah. Like somebody would like look at you with a, you know, alien type look if you asked that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, that is definitely a, a huge part of it. So our um, last, I saw some official numbers. There was something like 400 um, trade related uh, jobs on the entire Palouse. So that is nothing for the entire hmm. area. That's just so underserved. Um, and you know, who knows uh, how, how accurate those numbers are compared to the reality now, but that's probably what was, that was like labor data. So we're, you know, jobs who are identifying in the trades in one form or another uh, on a tax form. Hmm. Um, so, uh, basically we, we are underserved, uh, you know, overall, we're just far enough away from Spokane hmm. that, uh, people, generally don't want to drive down here for the work or Coeur d'Alene. Uh, and they, if, if things are, are busy, they're not going to leave because they've got tons of work where they're at. If things are not that busy, they can try to come down here, but then they're not that busy. So there's usually not a lot of work for them to come down for. Mm. And they have to you know, be charged a premium for it or eat the cost of the travel, which is not insignificant, especially as labor rates continue to rise. Yeah. Um, so uh, basically where we're at in our market is we're fairly isolated. We have a limited trade base. Um, when I uh, you know, look at this, the solution is really to, um, uh, you know, so we're a general remodeler and there's general contractors, meaning we're, uh, you know, we're quarterbacking the projects. We're in charge of them. We're taking the responsibility on. But we have to actually go back down to the trade level and the supplier level and actually bolster our, our individual subcontractors and our individual suppliers and get them efficient and get them lean and competitive before we can ever hope at a macro level to impact the market. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing. We've actually been, um, uh, you know, uh, basically running campaigns to recruit and, and bring other businesses to the area. Um, you know, either to, we can, it could be a, a one-off subcontractor. It could be purchasing a company, you know, uh, bringing them in, uh, you know, to town. 
or it could also be just organically growing them. So we're trying all the above. Hmm. Um, and then when it comes to uh, supply chain, uh, you know, getting connected on a broader scale, we're part of some national buying groups. It gives us way, way better purchasing power and better service. And so we're able to pass that on to our clients. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. So I think these are the, the basic ways that we're doing that internally. And I think I'd, these are the things I'd commend to the industry locally as well. Yep. Yeah. What have you found any particular like what, what's been the worst gap in terms of subcontractors or the mm-hmm. hardest thing to find? Um, maybe two reasons for asking that one, just curiosity, mm-hmm. but also like, okay, so if you are recruiting people, what are the types of people you need? Or as, you know, selfishly, right? Like my sons are getting older. Yeah. It's like, so what are the types of fields, trades that maybe they should focus on? Sure. Uh, typically the, the, you know, MEP trades are the top. So MEP is mechanical, electrical, plumbing. Um, so, you know, your, your heating, heating, cooling, plumbing, electrical contractors are the toughest and they're the toughest because they're the, the ones that require specialty licensing mm. and specialty schooling. Um, so there's a much higher, uh, cost of, of, of investment to get there, um, you know, to get functional in those trades. And also the state of Idaho, um, requires thousands and thousands of hours of education in each of these. In fact, it's, it's 16,000 hours to become a master in any one of these trades in Idaho currently. Um, and if you come from out of state in several of these positions, you have to be able to verify your hours in a way that Idaho says is, is, uh, agreeable to, to the state of Idaho. Um, so they'll, they, they may even discount hours you've had in other states. Um, you know, they may not accept them. Um, uh, and it's quite a process. If you come in as a fully licensed, let's say you're a, you've been in a master electrician for 30 years and you come to Idaho, you got to go back and take the, the tests. You know, they're not going to really, yep. Yep. And so I, I, this is actually a live thing right now. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, um, our representative, Brandon Mitchell, who's been very helpful in this regard, just asked me to draft a, uh, a summary of those specialty requirements so that he can examine this in our legislature right now um, and maybe uh, look to make some changes. Um, it's ironic to me, and this is, again, something we've con- conveyed to you know, Representative Mitchell, that um, a homeowner can do any one of these things in their own home with zero training okay yeah. so it's not like uh we're talking like crazy which dangerous. in my opinion is a good thing uh, i will like, agree with you that part is good like, i will agree with you because they're also inspected still the work's still inspected it has to pass inspection so it either passes or it doesn't pass there's basic standards they're national they're updated um you know they're 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 looked at by a professional um who we pay to have them look at it and so that is good enough for, uh, you know, the state when it comes to homeowners, but uh, somebody else has to have 16,000 hours or they have to come to our state and get busted back, take tests and come, you know, mm. work into it. Um, this type of thing makes, uh, you know, our trades cost a lot of money. And, uh, and, it, and probably most of the listeners, um, you know, know how hard it is to get just a plumber to show up. It's, it's actually yeah. really tough. <laughs> yeah, I had some people, when we had that cold snap, I had people... Yeah texting me saying like, Hey, do you know anybody mm-hmm. who could help me? Mm-hmm. I've called multiple plumbers. One of them said, we don't do frozen pipes. <laughs> yeah. And then another <laughs> said, we only do new construction. Uh-huh. It's like, wow. Like if you can't even get a plumber to help you yeah. fix frozen le- leaky pipes, like it, that's it's serious. No good. It's serious. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's so we, we can, so for example, um, uh, Kansas, Kansas city, Missouri, um, and they, um, you can actually take the national 85 question test. And if you pass it, you have a license. Wow. Okay. It's an open book test. 
I'm not saying it's an easy test. But there's leaks everywhere in Kansas. <laughs> I'm just I have no idea. So uh, there are other states have done this. Huh. We're not. It's not like we're just trying to like reinvent something here. You know, there are national standards. If those standards can be met, then why are we penalizing our state and our homeowners? Okay. So uh, th- there's got to be some sort of uh, uh, you know change that we can make that will make uh, everything easier, cheaper, faster, and better for our people. So yeah. that's one of the things that we're working on as well. Amen. Yep. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So I would say that's those are the pinch points for sure. Okay. I mean, you can list off any number of other trades where there's opportunity. I mean, you could pretty much name any one of them. Yeah. Yeah. What about long-term demand? Um, what do you see? Maybe first, let's just talk about the remodel. Mm-hmm. So you sure. guys are, um, I would say you have the reputation of being expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't shy away from that. Well, I'll, well, here's well, what I, our standard answer for that is, is, you know, is it more expensive to have it done right the first time or have it done wrong, you know, the first time? And it sounds like a pat, you know, answer. However, we have clients come into our office all the time whose work we're redoing for them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we just, we just finished another one where uh, these poor folks had a guy come and do a 90 foot long deck for them on the back of their house. They pulled his business card from a local business Um and he came when we showed up on the job site. It had been a year since he started. Um, there was uh, the deck was maybe no, oh, I don't know, twenty percent framed, and the ledger board looked like a dog's hind leg. Okay, I mean you could literally see. I mean that's the beginning of how bad it was. We had to tear the whole thing off and redo it. Um, it there was so much damage. There was there was about fifty thousand dollars of damage to the house that we started to repair and redo it. And that's not an uncommon story. Okay. Mm. Um, so people call us expensive, uh, because here's the other thing, most contractors, and we used to do this. So that's why I know this. We used to do this. You'd meet with somebody and you'd be like, man, I'm just so excited. This is an opportunity. This is a great job. I really want this job. And so, uh, you quote them a low number. Okay. You don't quote them a low number to be dishonest. Um, you don't quote them a low number, um, uh, you know, to, to manipulate. You're just thinking, well, I, I'm sure I can get it done for this. It's right. just this like, Total optimism, okay? Right. But there's no processes. There's no expertise. There's no, um, you know, you know, uh, studied habit backing up your number at all. And then the homeowner signs a t- time and material contract. That's what everybody does. It's whatever the, the amount of time that's used on the job, whatever the materials cost, plus a, a markup of some sort that's agreed upon. And that's how the, the job is contracted. Then the job's done. And if you're lucky, it's like 30% over. You know, normally it's like 50% or 100% over and sometimes 200% over what was quoted to the client. Everybody feels terrible. Um, you know, hopefully the client actually had enough money to pay for the job, you know, yeah. and you walk away. So that's what we used to do. So what, when you say, to stop you real quick, you say yeah. everybody does that way. Do you, does any, nobody works off of firm bids? Not in the remodel space. Not in remodel. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, we, yeah, we do. For sure. We work off fixed bids in the remodel space. Okay. Okay. So we basically said, we are sick and tired of doing this to clients. We hate the fact that there's just, just like yucky, you know, disappointed, uh, uh, you know, outcome at the end of every like project. Where you just, you're writing, the client's writing the check at the end. They're yes, just yeah. like, mm-hmm. Well, and they're usually pretty gracious about it. We have a really kind community here, right? But but it's, it's when our, they it's were writing fault. at them, not yeah. in front of you. Yeah, that's but right. Oh, I guarantee you. I guarantee it. And we felt I've disgusting about it too. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. 
it's a terrible thing for everybody. So, um, so basically, we did, we just said we're going to develop a process that just doesn't do this anymore. And so we have a proprietary process. It's called we, it's just a pre-construction process where we're providing our clients absolute certainty on exactly what they're getting and exactly what the investment is for that upfront to the penny, guaranteed. And we do it and we hit it every time. The only time it changes is if the client tells us to change it. Okay. Yeah. Or if we, or if we literally cannot see something behind a wall, like we don't have x-ray vision, you know, like there's some rot, but our process is actually so thorough. We're looking for that. So it almost never happens. Hmm. Um, and so that is, that's, you know, the, the giant, you know, value proposition that we come with it's certainty going back to the initial part of this foray in that we're expensive. It's not that we're expensive. It's that we give you the accurate cost up front when everyone else is quoting you the, the fake cost, you know, and then going and, and charging you more anyway. So if people actually knew what they actually paid for the job and then compared it to us, we're not expensive at all. And we have is some we have of that also quality. Examples. I mean, yeah. right. Like you, are, do you focus on higher, you said higher end. Yeah, earlier. we do. We're doing so higher there are things projects. that it's like, so you're, if a, you compared a, a, uh, an apartment uh, bathroom remodel, to the you know literal national award-winning bathroom remodel that that we completed, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah, in, in, and that's why I say yeah. partly why you don't shy away from it. Yeah, right? is like we are focusing on we we work end. on the upper end of the market and yeah. we work for clients. We actually work for some clients who are not upper end at all. They just want it done as promised, you know, with a please and thank you that we show up when we say we're going to show up and we do what we say we're going to do, you know. And so they're for them their time is more valuable. So they don't necessarily need a high-end project, but they're like, don't waste my time. Just get it done. Is, yeah. So the follow-on question to that is your higher-end remodeling mm-hmm. contractor, what are you seeing from a longer-term demand side of things? Yeah. Like, Are you sure. guys busy? Have you slowed down at all? Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you kind of see in that space? Yeah, great question. So well, we, can, we can back up to give some you know, history on, on – you know, what we're seeing in terms of qualified leads and, and project volume. Um, this year, we saw strong volume. Uh, when I say this year, beginning of 2022, so not this year. A year ago, we saw strong volume at the beginning of the year. And then we had one of the strangest years we've ever had in June and July, which normally right around June, we're seeing a huge uptick in inquiries for new projects and project planning. We had zero qualified leads. Mm. Zero in June and July, both months. It was like the spigot turned off at the end of, uh, was it uh, May? And yeah. it turned on again in, in August. Yeah. And the well, only and thing, that's right when interest rates spiked. Bingo. Yep. It was, it was basically we just saw everybody psychologically you know, grab their wallet uh, because they were noticing the gas prices and interest rates you know, in our area. And our area is different from other areas in that most all of the projects are entirely financed with cash. It's all cash, not mm. debt. And most any other market in the country, it's actually debt financing construction improvements. Why, do you have any idea why that is? Um, I think it's actually just the cultural aspect of our, of our mm-hmm. area. There's a lot of just uh, fiscal uh, conservatism, fiscal responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so people will save cash for their projects. Now, when you say that, are you, uh, what about like people paying you with cash, but getting it from a HELOC? Very, not very many. No, yeah, no, we try, we, it's, it's part of the conversation. We have very, very few of those. Yeah. It's striking to me actually. Hmm. Yep. So the amount of projects that we've done on debt, I mean, I can count on my eight fingered hands. Yeah. So it's not, it's very, and that's in 15, I mean, since, yeah, I mean, 15, 16 years doing it here. So interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's just not, not a thing. Now, new construction is almost all financed by debt, right? Right. Um, so it's a different game. So we could we could talk about that. So you you saw it turn off in June, but yep. you said it came back on came back in August. Right back on August, and it's just going strong right now. Hmm. We have we have lots of leads, um, lots of projects coming in. Um, you know, don't see them slowing down. Uh, we've had you know so much growth in our area, and also we're seeing a huge uptick in commercial. So we are seeing a transition from residential growth to commercial growth. So the residential's kind of ticking along. It may actually even be slowing a little bit. I have to look at our, our numbers again here. Um, but the commercial is growing uh, at a huge rate. And so we're seeing a lot more commercial projects come online. Interesting. Yeah. And you do remodel again on yes. the commercial side, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. I mean, that's what I've seen from a real estate standpoint is there, were, there was a lot of commercial vacancy mm-hmm. in the last even 10 years since I've been in the business. A yeah. lot of commercial vacancy. Last couple of years, that slack has kind of just yep. come out. Correct. So that makes a lot of sense, yeah. um, which is good, right? I mean, that's, yeah, it's really that's what good. you want to see. see. Businesses come to the area, which is good for everybody. You know, I mean, we, we need those so that we actually can have jobs for our kids so we can afford to build these homes and build our communities. I mean, it's all a big symbiotic circle. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I th- I would think too, the remodel space, generally speaking, right, you hear national trends, that kind of thing, that when the housing market does slow, mm-hmm people remodel their existing home rather it's, than it's correct. selling, especially right now. I mean, one of the things we've been talking about a lot is that with interest rates having doubled in the mm-hmm. last, you know, six months, really mm-hmm. maybe seven, eight now um, you've got so many people who have a 30 year fixed rate mortgage that they're only a couple years into mm-hmm. that's fixed at a historically low rate, yeah. right? So the incentive for somebody to sell that thing, that asset that they have this low fixed rate on is going to be very, very low Correct. versus remodeling. It mm-hmm. might seem like a great idea. And then you're, you're still sticking with this amazing, you know, yep. rate that you've got. So yeah. some numbers in that arena are that uh, 93% of people with uh, residential mortgages in the country are still sub 4%, 93% wow. are still sub 4%. Okay. Wow. So there's also about 7.6, probably more now. This is an old number, like several months old now. $7.6 trillion of equity was created since the beginning of the pandemic. So since uh, March 2020 till now, $7.6 trillion of home equity was created. Okay. So we've got a uh, people locked into their rates where they literally almost are housebound just because of their mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. you've got this unbelievable equity that's untapped in the home, which is a traditional place to, to find funding for, for renovations. And you have this disincentive to, to move geographically. You have, uh, and then you also have some super cycles within the construction industry, meaning uh, just because of the time frame at which there were other housing booms in the past, there's going to be basically tons of roofs that need to be replaced right now. There's going to be tons of uh, flooring that needs to be replaced, and you're going to see tons of kitchens and baths replaced. Those are mm. the four segments that have been highlighted by economists in our industry. And so those four segments are, going to, are going bonkers right now and will for the next couple of years, given the factors that we're seeing today. Interesting. Yeah. And there is equity in the homes to fuel that growth, even if all other factors um, do poorly. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So that's just deferred maintenance, essentially. Yep. Or, um, or just, uh, you know, the items becoming obsolete because they were installed, you know, that many decades ago. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Are you seeing those, as far as supply chain issues, um, I guess, 
two parts of it. Are you seeing particular issues with those segments because of that demand, or is that something you would say is forecast down into the future? We're seeing supply chain chaos every day still. You still are? Every day. Yep. There's still something. So the, the latest one we heard that's coming down the pipeline, you know, we've heard, we've probably all heard about the, uh, the uh, the chips that go into cars and how that's you know hurt car manufacturing. Yeah. Well, there's also chips that go into HVAC components, even mm-hmm. down to your uh, water heater. Okay. So we're we're going to be seeing shortages in things like water heaters, furnaces, mini splits, stuff like that, simply because they don't have the chip now. So it's basically like we're seeing like this uh, almost like a rolling blackout type effect within the supply supply chain. It'll be like this thing today, just a new that thing. thing tomorrow, and it's constantly just a knock on to the next thing. And we are not seeing any end in sight for the next, you know, year or year, two or three years probably. Wow. Yep. Huh. So we'll we'll go to buy So garage doors are back. Yeah, that's right. But not you No, know, that's exactly what it'll be. People will be freaking Weird. out about garage doors and then like a few months later garage doors are fine. But then like, you know, there's certainty uh, a certain specialty uh, you know fastener is now gone and you can't get it. And then, so everyone goes to the alternative of that product. They wipe out that category and then it just moves on down the road to the next category. Hmm. Wow. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, we've gotten to the point where we are having clients select a record number of selections and literally saying, you have to be okay with any one of these six to proceed. Just to be able to get them. Just to be able to get the job. Yeah. Yeah. And it's gotten better on most of those, most categories. It's not quite that bad for most categories now, but. What about pricing? I know lumbers come way down from what it was. Yep. Um, Is anything else softening or overall materials costs still going up? I would say overall, they're actually, they are coming down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Overall. And I think we're going to see them come down even more specifically because of the new construction slowdown. So because these interest rates are so high and new construction is getting compressed everywhere, uh, it's going to be a rough year for new construction in terms of, uh, you know, growth numbers. You know, there's still going to be plenty of new construction because there's such a high demand, but that the, the rate at which it's occurring is going to be much, much slower than last year because of the, the interest rates. But what that does is it frees up all those components to be put into the remodeling world hmm. because everybody was tooling up to meet the, the greater demand. Now that demand has just been you know pulled back essentially. So we're going to see a lot of the supply chain stuff be solved because of that alone. Interesting. And, yeah. So um, you mentioned a while back uh, in the conversation about profit margins, mm-hmm. about a lot of a lot of particularly new home builders, right? Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily think about it. They're just if they're building, they're they're doing good, and right? That's new home builders in our market. So there's some very sophisticated new home builders out there. Uh, so I just want to clarify. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's helpful. Yeah. But one of the things that I've been curious about in in terms of prices, right, mm-hmm. is um, new inventory. Obviously helps <clears throat> helps overall inventory, which there's a massive shortage of yeah. around the country. Um, but how much room does that new inventory have to come down in price? So in yeah. terms of you know you have basic economic supply demand, right? Mm-hmm. We we create more supply, um, demand softened from the interest rates coming up. That should bring prices down, right? But if a lot of if as we just talked about the um, incentive for existing home owners to sell mm-hmm. is mostly gone from those low mm-hmm. interest rates. Yep. Most of your new supply is going to be coming from new construction, mm-hmm. it seems to me. And the thing I've been curious about is, is there going to be room for those prices to come down? Yeah, right? Gotcha. Because you get a bunch of new half million dollar starter homes doesn't necessarily help yeah. right? bring down the price yeah. of the existing inventory. That's right. 
Well, I, again, I can speak more on a national scale because we've got you know actual stats and data there. Uh, we are seeing those prices come down, but we're also seeing them uh, come down in a more um, in creative ways, not just in the the gross sales reported. Okay. So what I mean by that is we're seeing uh, creative financing where a lot of developers are actually giving uh, incentives to the buyers where they'll, they'll give them say a mortgage where they actually get a teaser rate for the first year. And then the teaser rate, you know, jumps a little bit the second year yep. and then normalizes the third, or they'll actually, you know, pay down their points so that their mortgage goes from the, let's say it was a few months ago and it was uh, over 7% and they buy it down to like 5.5 or something like that. They buy it down to a number where the, the client can actually qualify for the loan. It costs them sometimes, you know, even $35,000, but instead of putting a concession on the price, they'll they'll actually put that concession into the financing for the for the buyer. So gotcha. we're seeing that sort of thing being done with national builders right now. Um, I've heard of none of that type of thing locally. Um, we have a stronger demand here than probably you know many markets in the country, um, and at the same time we have almost no supply. Um, I think we were we were chatting you know before we hopped on the recording about how there's actually quite a bit of lots coming on the market this year in our, in here, like quite a bit for our, for our area, yeah. but there's no builders to build on them. And so, um, you know, I was having this conversation with a few other people even last year saying, I've talked to all these guys who are bringing the lots on and not one of them has solved the construction problem. So I, I actually am really curious to see where it goes. I don't know where it's going to go. Maybe somebody is able to recruit, uh, you know, a, a regional builder or build up a, you know, building business and, and, uh, produce new, new homes at a, at a better uh, rate in terms of the number or in better price as well. But I don't see it happening right now. Um, there's just not enough demographically speaking on a national scale. And certainly here locally, there are not even close to enough people coming in the trades. Um, that's still the case despite lots and lots of conversation about trade schools and recruiting people. Um, there's just not a desire from the younger generation to get into the trades. Um, and so if we don't see that, we're going to continue to see uh, people who have been in the trades for decades and decades age out. Uh, we're seeing that right now. Mm -hmm. We're not seeing that filled back in. So fewer and fewer people to build the homes means that the raise, you know, the the, the uh, rates of uh, wages are going to continue to rise. Um, so basically, overall, to summarize, material prices are coming down. I think they're going to continue to come down. Um, wages are going to continue to go up, and then um, you know fees from various businesses and subcontractors actually have to go up. Um, Sam Wolkenauer is the uh, North Idaho labor economist, a uh, great guy to listen to if you ever get a chance hmm. when he does a presentation. Uh, right. He'll be presenting March 15th up in uh, Coeur d'Alene for the North Idaho Builders Association, um, and or, or at least present if he's not presenting there. Great guy to connect with. But he pointed out that internal to businesses in Idaho, and I don't recall if this was specific to the trades or not, there was something like 24% internal inflation of costs. So inside the business, things cost almost a, a quarter more than they used to. Okay. Wow. But we at the same time see like this 8% CPI or something like that, consumer you know, price index. And so those are so disparate. The businesses, what this is indicating, haven't even caught their pricing up to their costs. Right. So we're going to see businesses left and right, right raising their prices, not because they want to, but because they have to to not become insolvent. And I was pulling up some of the, the national numbers on profitability, at least in the remodeling sector, and it is, it's compressed this really? last year. We saw some of the greatest volumes and some of the worst profitability in years across the industry. Hmm. So, I mean, the, the, it's, it's uh, you know, people think, you know, contractors must be rolling in it. It's like actually most of them are losing their minds and just trying to keep their nose above water. Yeah. Yep. And that would, 
it makes some sense that especially if they're super busy, they're probably not looking at their numbers yeah. the way they should until now. Yes. Right. Until tax. Until their CPA tells them yeah. like retroactively after they've already like, filed their first and second extensions. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you've yeah. got to raise your prices. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So that's, that might be that lag. Yeah. Where we start to see that now, and prices are sticky, right? So let's say your I mean, let's say your auto mechanic charged you eighty five bucks an hour for you know since the mid nineties. Well, he's not going to raise it now to from you know eighty five to ninety five. It's going to go from eighty five to one hundred and thirty five. So that's that's kind of what we're seeing here and there, and people, of hmm. course, are you know rightly shocked. Yeah, but that is a natural consequence of the internal inflation, the cost of doing business, um, you know that we're, that everyone's experience out there. Yeah. experiencing out there yeah well that's cheerful yeah right that's yes. exciting so news. so the to the cheerful <laughs> yeah the cheerful thing is is there are solutions to this and it really is about uh, you know i think for our community recruiting people to come here i mean we have very unique place here it's really wonderful place to live i mean you know as we both know you know nominated as one of the best places in the country to raise a family yeah we've got uh you know county seat regional hospital uh you know colleges um, you know, just wonderful cultural aspects of the community. And so that is a selling point. We've recruited people in our own company for some of these selling points uh, or because of some of these selling points. We've actually also provided temporary housing for them in order to hire them. That's a that's part of the equation. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so still labor shortage. Correct. But we can do this, though. Like, we're, like it's, it's possible. We just need to be very diligent about recruiting people into the area. So the housing, the temporary housing thing, um, and I know we gotta we gotta wrap up here quick, yeah. but the temporary housing thing is interesting because um, so it seems like there's a little bit of a chicken and egg issue, mm-hmm. right? Yep, you've got it's absolutely right. You have you have a, you have trouble recruiting the workforce you need because there's no housing for them. Yep, but you need that workforce in order to create housing. <laughs> That's so exactly you guys right. have done a little bit of that, like mm-hmm. temporarily. Yep. Um, but what are some ideas for making that more of a long-term solution? Again, if these yeah. prices, if the labor costs and everything else is going to have to keep these new construction home prices high, mm-hmm. then how are these folks, is it just going to be by raising wages There's, to allow them to afford to buy a home? Cause I know that's mm-hmm. a, that's a big thing, right? That's yeah. what, that's partly why you're seeing this is. Uh, man, if I'm like, am I going to be able to be a plumber yeah. and buy a house and raise a family in this town? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the answer is yes, you, sh- you can be because there's so few that those wages are raising um, that, you know, they, they can still raise because of the, the massive demand. Um, so that is an aspect of it. Um, uh, you know, there's definitely a complex equation, but I think that when we're looking for the value production you know, what value are we producing in our community at every level, whether it's the plumber, you know, the general contractor, the developer, you know, every part of the, of the, of the supply chain. Uh, when you do that, that is what's going to solve this. And it won't be a pro, this program or that program because those programs have all been there forever. You know, new ones are coming online and you get more of what you subsidize and less of what you penalize. So if you, if you produce more subsidized housing, you get more people who need subsidized housing. It's just this yeah. weird irony. And so that's not the solution. We just need the market forces to, to uh, basically get off their laurels um, and, and, and get to work. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that's a good way to end it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. My pleasure. A lot to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, a lot of action there. And I think especially your bit on, um, on Idaho and some of those restrictions and, 
on trades and licensing. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Talk to your talk to your representative about it. Yeah. And we need to solve some of these things. I'll give you one more stat. I yeah. Suppose. So uh, the National Association of Home Builders does uh, studies uh, periodically, and their most recent one, I believe, was 2021. Um, and they surveyed, uh, you know, developers across the country and fully, I believe it, I believe the number is 23.8% of housing costs are regulatory in nature. So just to sum that up, about a quarter of the cost of a new home comes from regulation. That's mostly in the wow. land development process and the amount of time, trouble, effort, and money that's spent just to get land partitioned and buildable. Um, but it's also everything down to how much, you know, the national code tells us we have to insulate the wall, you know, everything. So, um, you know, my stance is that, uh, you know, there's, there's some minimum standards and above that it should be a choice, but we're seeing standards that are mandated that are essentially pricing people out of the market. And so it's, it's a way of not loving our citizens. And so, we're yeah. definitely not, a, we're in Idaho, yeah, but we're not immune to that. that is I mean, it's, I think it's easy to think. Yeah, you hear about how crazy permit fees and stuff are in Seattle. Like, we're nothing like that. Yeah. But it's still a problem. It's still, it's, yeah, we, it's, it's actually very easy to build here compared to most places. Extremely easy. Our staff here, too, is just, they're wonderful. Okay. Uh, and the national laws still run to us and they still cost us hmm. you know, if, if we don't push back. Yeah. So. Well, that might be another podcast in and okay. itself. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks, Nathaniel. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Yep. Appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Like, share, subscribe. We'll see you next week.